Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to episode 18 of the No Look Pass podcast presented to you by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You can be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, a.k.a. my mom's favorite son that hopes to do anything as well as minor league baseball teams do promotions. And I have my co-host with me, Andy Flynn. Flynn, what's good? You know, I'm scrolling through these these uh, NBA standings earlier, and it's amazing how many teams are on big streaks right now. We have three teams officially on nine and they're nine and one over their last ten, and then we also have three other teams that are eight and two over their last ten. It's crazy. Yeah, that, that's that's just code for there's a lot of bad teams in the league as well. So we are going to get into our <laughs> show. Uh, we're going to go while you're watching TNT with the New York Knicks this week. We uh, delayed our taping this week for two reasons. One, Andy and I are both a little under the weather. We're going to Jordan flu game it for you right now, but also we were trying to give the New York Knicks a chance to actually get a win so we can discuss maybe a New York Knicks W, but they couldn't quite uh, accomplish that feat here. But first we are going to start like we are always going to start our shows now with the outlet pass. All-Star Weekend is going to be upon us in the upcoming days, probably before the next time we're with you. Um, we want to tell you one thing each of us is looking forward to, either in the game itself or in the skills competitions, as we know often Saturday night is better than the actual game. So, Andy, tell us something from All-Star Weekend that you're looking forward to. Well, as All-Star Weekend approaches, and, you know, as as you get a little older, I guess, you learn to appreciate different things. Or maybe it's because the league has changed so much, and it's crazy to me, but the thing I'm looking forward to more than anything is the the three-point contest. It's like, when did that become cooler than the dunk contest? Um (laughs) I mean, I, I'm going to just give the credit to Steph Curry for making the three ball just just the most popular thing in the world. So you have Curry, James Harden, Clay Thompson, Chris Middleton, Kyle Lowry, J.J. Redick, Chris Bosh is in here, and then Devin yep. Booker from the Phoenix Suns. I mean, this is just a – I mean, I'm looking at this thinking that almost anybody could win this thing, even though it's going to be Curry. Um What are your thoughts? Yeah. You like the, I, what, What's your, what's your so, thing you're looking forward to? So that was actually my answer as well, the three-point contest. Ah. Uh, I'm Specifically, I was looking forward to a Clay and Steph showdown in the finals, but also I wanted to see kind of like you, you brought up the names. There's, there's a lot of different kind of shooters in there. you got Middleton, who's a lanky guy. you got Bosch, who's like just straight up a big guy. And then you have Redick, who is who has sort of like a machine kind of motion. But the other thing, since you already said the three-point contest, and I want to kind of expand a little bit, aside from us getting the same answer, the other thing I was going to say was I'm looking forward to Andre Drummond's dunk contest. I actually just found out today that he's – I actually just found out today that the people that were going to be in it, and when I saw Drummond's name, I'm always intrigued by the big guys. So I think Dwight Howard has sort of set the set the tone for what a big guy can do in a dunk contest. And I'm not sure what Drummond can do, but, but I'm curious to see him. Plus, I want to see Zach Levine again, you know, obviously the, the show he put on last year. I want to see if he can duplicate that. And it's always fun to see what guys are going to come up with after they win the dunk contest. So um, that's definitely something I'm looking forward to. But it sounds like neither one of us is quite looking forward to the game. Well, I mean, I, I do look forward to the game. And the thing with the dunk contest is is Levine is going to be the gift and the curse this year because at least with last year, like you had all the depot hung in there with a couple of the dunks. And, and made it a good game. I don't think any of these guys are going to be able to hang out with that, Zach Levine. I, I just see a lot of guys who are more power dunkers than anything. Uh, 
Aaron Gordon. He, I mean, Will Barton looks like he's going to rip the rim off every time he dunks. He's got a little bit of that Corey Brewer dunk mentality to him. He's a skinnier guard, but he just will hammer it down. Gordon's a, a powerful dunker, and Jerome is a powerful dunker. I just, I feel like when you get a guy who has like the the VC touch of just looking so fluid and and you know pristine while they're dunking but has a little flavor on it at the end. It's hard to beat a guy that just looks so uniform, and, and I don't think any of these power dunkers are going to get it done this year. Yeah, that's true. The only thing that I would say is with a guy like Drummond that has such a long wingspan, he can kind of do some things that it's, it's sort of twofold because they don't look as impressive. Like when a guy dunks on two different rims, you know, extending both arms, like that's incredibly impressive to me, but I understand that sometimes the judges don't see that as impressive. So I'm curious what kind of different things, because I feel like the big guy can bring a different thing to the table, not just like a different formation of the kind of dunks that we've seen in the past. Yeah, I mean, it'll it'll be interesting to watch, I guess. Hopefully uh, the the problem we've had in the past are just, the, they, they have to keep it simple in the dunk contest, throwing some of these weird things into there. Like the, the year John Wall, uh, two years ago, that, that could have been a great dunk contest. But they they screwed yeah. up the format. So yeah, I'm curious about the format as well. But I'm glad that you brought up John Wall because that does transition us into while you were watching TNT, we were once again also watching TNT because the New York Knicks played on TNT this Thursday. They had a five game work week while we were watching them. As I said, they did not manage to get a win, which resulted obviously in the firing of Derek Fisher, which is what we will get into. But First, I just wanted to bring up their work week. Uh, Versus Boston at home, at Detroit, versus Memphis at home, versus Denver at home, versus Washington at home, all losses. So, led to the firing of Derek Fisher, and that's a natural place to begin. What do you think about the move? I, You know, sometimes I feel like it's funny because I, I kind of would – I defended the David Blatt firing – but I feel like sometimes we just get to the point where it's like it's real popular to just fire a coach. I, I mean, maybe it wasn't working. I've never seen Fisher really do anything. And here, I'm going to come back to this Jason Kidd thing when he was with the Nets his first year. At least he was out there trying to get dudes to bump him with a drink, and he was trying things. Like, you don't, I, didn't, I haven't seen anything from Fisher that really made him stand out to me, much like uh, I said with David Blatt a couple weeks ago. But, I mean, right. Does he really have anything to work with? Yeah, that's my other question. Is like, what what do the Knicks really have going on? They were hanging around that 500 bubble and you know between the six and 12 seed in the East there. But I've, I feel like a lot of teams have done that, so it's really not that unique at this point. And I, I just I don't feel like they have the personnel. Carmelo Anthony's kind of winding down and. You know, Zingas has been great, but other than that, I mean, some of these guys that are getting the heavy minutes are Derek Williams plays a lot, Robin Lopez. Uh, looks like nobody likes Aaron Aflalo anymore. You have Jose Calderon <laughs> and a bunch of bums. I mean, at the point, I said Jose Calderon and a bunch of bums, and I just really meant a bunch of bums. I just This team's not very good, so I almost don't know if it's fair to just fire a young coach so soon unless something, like, utterly atrocious was happening behind the scenes that we don't know about. Yeah, so that that that's what my expectation is going to be, that maybe something's going to come out. I think the Matt Barnes thing kind of played more of a role in the sense that it sort of set the table for – didn't really give him much leeway. And, it, you know, it was just sort of like, all right, this guy makes one mistake, or if he doesn't sort of match our expectations, we can fire him now because we're just sort of – he's on a short leash now because of this whole incident. But I'm more so mad at myself that we've had multiple coaches fired and have discussed multiple multiple coaches fired on the show, and I haven't broken out this clip. He's a nut. I want a boy. 
that's exactly how I imagine it happening. It, it, Phil Jackson just calling Derek Fisher in the office, and every time a coach gets fired, I always think of that scene. So shout out to the water boy. But I think what you're saying is is a good point in the sense that you know what is he really working with? But I also think that he was the victim of higher expectations than maybe should have been because of Porzingis and because Porzingis really came on. Whereas you know when the Knicks drafted Porzingis, it was like okay, this is going to be a rebuild year. You know. We're going to try and mold this team and then let Porzingis develop and all this stuff, and we don't really know what we have with this kind of younger team, kind of misfit team with, you know, Aflalo and Robin Lopez, all guys that have sort of been on successful teams, but how much of a role did they play on those successful teams? But then they come out, Porzingis looks great, and they sort of overachieve for the first, let's say, 20 to 25 games. But now you have this expectation of what are you going to do with it. So then once they didn't really – now that they've fallen back and are on this, I think it's a six-game losing streak, five while we were watching them, they lost one prior. Now you sort of fall victim of the guy that, that isn't meeting expectations, but those expectations weren't really expected of you until midseason. Can I tell you something interesting about the Knicks? And I honestly didn't notice it while we were watching. I wish I had because it would make the story better, but it would make me more of a bonehead being that I live in New York and I get to see the Knicks on TV whenever I please. But Sasha, <laughs> Sasha Vucicic there, that dude, you remember him from the Lakers? What is he doing? <laughs> wait, 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 hold on. How did you just pronounce his name? I, Sa- uh, Sasha Vucicic, or Vu- Vucic? <laughs> I, I don't know how to say his name. I used, Sasha the worst Vujicic. part is I used, I used to know how to say his name because, remember, he was, like, semi-popular for all of, like, 13 seconds when he was a Laker. Yeah, like, I think Sasha how Vujicic actually had, like, Vucicic. The, the J Ooh, is a just, you're the you're the name yeah. guy. I can't do it, man. I I feel like uh, <laughs> it makes me lightheaded, and I feel like I need to take a nap when I try to. Yeah. And and yeah, v- admittedly, v- I only knew his. What was that? Vujicic is such an old Vujicic is such an old name that he actually had like an integral role in the like Kings Lakers like 2001 2002 Eastern or Western Conference Finals. I think I, I'm I'm pretty sure he was on one of those teams. He was on one of those. When Lakers I saw teams. him. When I saw him, a few, it was weeks ago. I was I was looking at the bench and I was like, "Who is that dude?" And I was like, "I know this guy from somewhere." And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't. Like, how do I forget that mug? And that's why I'm looking at his picture right now. It's killing me. But yeah, that I just I look at the depth, and this is where I'm going with this. And this depth is just bad on this team. I mean, if you you could sell me, you know, maybe even Calderon as your starter with a follow and Mello and a Robin. I like Robin Lopez. I think his defense is good. And, and Porzingis, but when you start bringing guys off the bench like Kevin Serafin and Derek Williams and uh, <laughs> our boy Sasha and, yeah, you, you, you know, Dryan Grant, we, we have guys who, like, the, the expectations might have been there early on, and now we're just, like, floored by some of these players. And I, I just think you can't get it done with the worst bench I've ever seen. Yeah, so that, that's a huge part of, of this team's downfall. But first of all, I want to say shout-out to Sasha Vujicic, who is married to Maria Sharapova, I believe, still. He used to be married to Maria Sharapova. He's oh, away he was, hit. too. At what point yeah, yeah, yeah props on that. Because, huge yeah. huge shout-out. Uh, so the thing you bring up about all these guys is, yeah, they're bad players, and I, I, I don't disagree, but the thing I found about this team, uh, two things, is that they have a really tough team. they got a lot of goons. Like a lot of those guys that you just named, like, and I mean that in an admiring way. There's just guys that won't back down. Like Robin Lopez is that kind of guy. They got Kev- Kevin Serafin, who 
Like, once he gets the ball, he's not giving it back to you. But he's, like, a tough guy. He's going to, you know, work on the board and stuff like that. Kyle O'Quinn is sort of the same kind of player as, as Kevin Serafin. It sort of doesn't make sense to have them both on one NBA team. And then Derek Williams is sort of the same way. He's he's kind of that guy that has, like, a chip on his shoulder because he never should have been a second overall pick, but now he had to match that expectation. So now he's in that second point of his career where he's trying to prove to everybody that he's actually an NBA player. So they, they do have a lot of, like, tough guys on this team. And the other thing I think building on that is even though they're not really that talented, like you're bringing up, they are sort of a resilient team. You know, they're not really a team that folds it up and, and goes home. So this, the first game I watched with the Knicks was the Pistons game on TNT, and I actually started watching in the fourth quarter. I had just gotten home from work. And I wrote that was the first thing I wrote down, like, oh, they're a resilient team. And I was like, I don't know if people are going to believe this. And then, like, two minutes later, the clip, or, like, little statistic popped up that they were down by 24 at halftime. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess people will believe this, considering they came back from 24 points down. And when I was watching it, it was like a four-point game. But, you know, they really are. They they, they really fight. They, they grind. You know, it's sort of the personality of, I feel like Robin Lopez is, like, the soul of the team. And I think he's, like, an MSG favorite, you know, for good reason, because he plays so hard, and I think that was something you were bringing up. Yeah, see, and, you know, actually, I didn't mean to, like, bag on Derek Williams because I actually think he, <laughs> in, at least in these games I've seen, he's not doing anything eye-popping. I think he's getting, like, 10 points a game, but he's not playing bad basketball. Actually, I'm looking at his PRs over 17. So I think, you know, he's matured, and people probably tend to forget that he's still only 24 years old. feels like he was in Minnesota for, like, a decade. Um, but... <laughs> I just I, – I feel like the, the problem with the Knicks is this is a hard problem to fix, I feel like. I I think, like, you can sometimes get that one piece you need that, that's, you know, even if it's like a second star or something, you can get that easier than you can get four guys off your bench or three guys to come off of the bench. I just think it's such a weird dynamic to try to, to bring in, and it's really hard to do in the middle of the season. So I, I feel like, you know, that seven or eight seed in the East – probably is going to be pretty wide open for a few teams. Um, you know, you, right. you get a team like you get a team like I'll just use my magic for example, are only a few games out of that eight seed and they're three and seven over their last ten. So it's almost like a, anything can happen in the East. So maybe they can make a playoff spot, but you know, are they really going to get anywhere with this this type of bench? And the answer is probably no. Yeah, so I mean a few things to improve this team and I agree. I mean they they're sitting at twelve right now. I don't I don't think they make the playoffs but um, Aaron Aflalo is, like, a weird clutch guy for this team, even though, like, every, you're right, everybody does sort of hate him. But, you know, when it's clutch time, you, are, you always think, okay, Melo's going to get the ball. We're going to get to Melo in a little bit because that's my elephant in the room question related to him. But you sort of think, okay, so they're going to go to Melo. But then all of a sudden, like, Aaron Aflalo is backing down in the post and actually converting and making plays for this team in clutch situations. You know, he has that nice post-up game, like, right, um, not quite in the post, but, you know, like right outside the post, you know, like the 14 to 16-foot area, and he can kind of – he hits that turnaround jumper that he's so good at. And, you know, it really works for the team. But the other thing I think we are obviously have to talk about is um, Porzingis. And, you know, Porzingis, he's, I want to say he's struggling a little a little bit, you know, a little bit of the rookie wall, but he is so impressive. I, I can honestly say that I don't know what your thoughts are about him, but I don't think I've ever seen a player like Porzingis before. People make the dirt comparison, but – He's so much more athletic than Dirk was, and maybe I'm just remembering Dirk for what he is now, you know, like a slow, like a slower guy. But I don't ever think Dirk was really that athletic. Well, I mean, Dirk Nowitzki is a one-trick pony. No, I'm oh, just no. kidding. That was that was like one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Um, I I think <laughs> I I don't like the comparison either. I think 
Porzingis is his own man. He is his own player. Um, and I'm I'm impressed too. And you know, I'll I'll say something. I need to apologize maybe to Chris Bass a little here because at the beginning of the season I liked him coming into the draft. And then I kind of let people, especially around the time he was drafted, like the Knicks fans just seemed so utterly outraged that I was like, Yeah, maybe maybe I kind of did the, the Euro love with this guy. Maybe I fell Euro love with him. But no, I was You're right. Impressed. I mean like uh, yeah, I, he he's good. I mean, he's exactly as advertised. I think people start to they see like this big lanky kind of you know awkward. He has like the Andre Karolinko haircut, and you know he's advertised as this guy. Well, he's not like your you know your typical European seven footer who shoots the ball. You know he's athletic. He dunks. He blocks shots. He plays hard. And you kind of like eh no, and you just let your right. brain override and tell you what you know a guy like that is how he's supposed to play. And then when you see it on the court, you're like, you know, holy hell, he's a unicorn, like Kevin Durant would say. So I, I think I'm, I'm impressed. I think he's their future for sure. Yeah. So what's funny is that the, the thing you brought up about how they say, oh, he's not like all the European guys. Like how many times have we heard that about like different players? Oh, like Jan Vesely, he's not like all the other European guys. He's athletic. And that, <laughs> who even knows where that guy is now? You know what I mean? So, but we've heard with so many, so many guys. So it makes sense to be a little skeptical. So the the only other thing I wanted to bring up aside from the, the elephant in the room question was I really feel like this team needs a pass, for, pass first point guard. I think that's what the real big need on this team is because Jose Calderon clearly isn't it. So, like, my dream scenario for this team is Rondo. I would love to see Rondo in a Knicks uniform with Melo and Porzingis. Uh, I don't know if Langston Galloway is sort of that building block kind of person, but it's possible that he is, though he is definitely not a pass first point guard either. Um and the other thing I obviously want to bring up is that even as a Nets fan, there really is nothing like a raucous MSG crowd like that. Those fans are, I mean, aside from, I think the Golden State Warriors fans sort of like take the cake as far as like energy in the building and stuff like that and loyalty, but those MSG fans are something else. I love watching games at MSG. Yeah, I like you too. And as far as Jose Calderon, you want to know the funny thing about him is when did he become anything but just like a passer? <laughs> When did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All he does, all he does now is take like spot up jumpers. <laughs> that was the only thing he was ever good at is like that, and he I mean he shot high percentages. He was a very good free throw shooter. So it was the free throws and the assists because I think he averaged like eight or nine assists for a few years, and and now he can't even pass the ball. Now he's like I'm going to score when I'm in the game. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're going to get to the elephant in the room question, but the other thing I wanted to bring up that we didn't bring up is that the obvious flaw of this team is just how terrible they are defensively, even with Robin Lopez. I mean, Melo's always been bad defensively. Porzingis is young. Jose Calderon's in your starting lineup. You really have no chance defensively. But you can elaborate on that if you want as well. But the elephant in the room question is, is this still Carmelo Anthony's team? So I think when you watch this team, you're sort of thinking like, okay, you know, Melo's going to get the ball, Melo's going to get the ball. But it seems more so than, than recently. And this could be because while we were watching, he was injured for a couple of games as well. But it, it just sort of seems that somebody who's watched the Knicks aside from this, that they're sort of transitioning in, into maybe it being for Zingas' team. I don't know what you think about that. I mean, I think that it's an inevitable transition to make. I think as far as right now, it's definitely still Melo's team. I think when you're shooting like 17 shots a game, which is down from the 20, he shot he shot right around 20 shots a game since he's been in New York, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much 22, 21, 20. Um, so, yeah, 17 and a half is down. 
obviously you do you talked a little bit about a flalo. He's not shy to shoot the ball, so there's that. There is the Porzingis thing. But I think it's still Melo's team. Although I think the Knicks should be looking to get away from Melo like as fast as they could. And that's not a shot at Melo, yeah. that's just a shot at Melo's age. And I think actually last year would have been the ideal time to get rid of him, but now we are where we are. He's 31. 21 points a game, though. Somebody's still out there willing to take that money. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you put Melo on the market, there's going to be plenty of teams that want him. Like the Miami Heat, I can totally see Melo in a Miami Heat uniform, you know, some sort of like Dragic white side for Melo kind of trade going on. Speaking of trades, as long as you don't have anything else to add with the Knicks, if you do, do so. But uh, I want to move on to the uh, trade segment that we wanted to do. We're going to play a game called You Be the GM. Uh, last week, we gave you a couple of teams that we thought needed a, maybe a piece or two or could acquire a piece or two or should be acquiring a piece or two. And now we are going to give you more details. Um, I have some trades lined up for the Boston Celtics. I will leave that spoiler right there. Andy Flint, I know you said Kings or Pistons last week. Who would you decide on and give me a trade? I'm pretty sure I gave the people at home an 80% chance that I would do something for the Pistons. I am, in fact, a liar and I went with the Kings. I will, I'll yeah. give you a second one that I decided to scrap that did involve the Pistons. But the one I the one I settled on, and ultimately this was like bunting compared to the fences I was swinging for with some of these trades. I was I was going nuts, man. You should have seen what was going on over here. I had the 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 war room up here. I had multiple screens. I ended up deciding on the Sacramento the Kings. Shout out to the war room inadvertently. The Sacramento Kings and the Denver Nuggets. Okay. And what I did I'm here was I sent Kenneth Fareed to the Kings oh. for like for Rudy Gay, your favorite player of all time, and yep. uh, the young Willie Cauley-Stein. And then oh. the, the last portion of the trade would be for the, the Nuggets to have an opportunity to switch first-round picks with the Kings, probably like top ten protected, I would say something like that, maybe eight. Nothing crazy, but I think that's – and to me, that's enough for the Kings, I think, that like a Kenneth Freed would be a great addition to them while letting go of Rudy Gay. And the plus side for Denver, to me, is Willie Cauley-Stein because I think he's going to be a terrific player. And then you obviously get Gay in there to, you know, kind of keep the, the now and then and, and keep them relevant. Yeah, so is it weird to me that I think Willie Cauley-Stein is, like, the most untradeable person on the Kings at this point? Like, I could totally see <laughs> them trading DeMarcus Cousins before they trick Willie Cauley-Stein. That just says more about the state of the Kings who apparently fire their coach and then don't fire him and then fire him again and then don't fire him. I don't know what they're doing. But, no, I like the trade. I mean, I think Rudy Gay is definitely a guy that has to go. The only thing about the Fareed thing is I think what they run into with Collie Stein and Cousins on the floor is that they can't spread the floor enough. And I think with Fareed, you sort of have the same problem. So you might need somebody that can maybe, like, have a little more range than Fareed does. But, I mean, I like the trade in the sense that I think Fareed is the kind of player that will is, is like a high character guy, but also he's like a hard worker and he's and he's talented. Yeah, right. So like he's gonna be with Boogie in practice and like just wiping the floor with him. And I feel like Boogie is the kind of player that would be like, oh man, I'm 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 pissed off. Like this guy is kicking my ass. You know what I mean? And that might bring out something in him that maybe hasn't been brought out with the other. Uh, the other players uh, on the team that maybe don't don't quite have that hustle. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. But so my team was the Boston Celtics, and I actually have four trades, but I'm not going to go through all of them because, like you, I was getting crazy. Um, but I just want to highlight the the team, the the 
blockbuster trades that I came up with for the Boston Celtics because I feel like they really have an opportunity to make a big move at the trade deadline. The four players that I thought that they could acquire was Dwight Howard, which we've already heard rumors about, Kevin Love, and then one of two Clippers, either DeAndre Jordan or Blake Griffin. So my two favorite trades for them are for uh, Kevin Love and Blake Griffin. So tell me which tell me which one you like better. So I got Cleveland getting Jay Crowder, Jared Sollinger, and Avery Bradley, and Boston gets Kevin Love and James Jones to make it just to make the money work. Or the Clippers get Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, and then Brooklyn's first round pick in 2016, which should be about a top five pick, and then Boston's 2018 first round pick, and Boston gets Blake Griffin. So I like the Griffin. I like the Blake Griffin trade. That's like my personal favorite trade. I think they should just pull the trigger right now. But I'm I'm curious which one you like better. I mean, I obviously think Blake Griffin's the the more quality player of the two. Um, and it, it's funny, I stayed away from him, but I had a couple punched in, and I actually had a Blake Griffin uh, Boston trade. It involved I had a third team in there. I almost feel like it was the Pistons, but. I don't remember the exact details, but it did end up with Blake Griffin in Boston. So I think I'm on board with that one. I think uh, Boston's obviously known for having big players over the years, having big moments over the years. So I don't think it's a stretch for them to really swing for the fences and, and for them to be able to work out something, you know, like getting Blake Griffin. They have all those picks. I do like it. I'm low on Kevin Love, man. I'm at like an all-time low with that guy. I, I just don't – I don't know if I would yeah. want to stick him in a position where he was the leader of the team. Yeah, see, I feel like he might be a change of scenery candidate, and also in in that trade they don't give up any of their picks, so they still have a bunch of assets and like all their draft picks that they've acquired. But I also I like the the Clippers trade personally better because I feel like it works very well for the Clippers as well because you kind of clog out, you get those wing guys like your your crunch time lineup could be uh, Chris Paul, JJ Redick, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Jordan. So you go small, you're good defensively, you can you can spread the floor, and that team could, could potentially play with the Warriors, I think. Now, the disadvantage, and the reason why I brought up the uh, DeAndre Jordan trade is because you can also, if you're the Clippers in that trade, you can go small and have Blake Griffin as your center, which I think is the ultimate lineup for the Clippers if they want to beat the Warriors, should be with DeAndre Jordan out of the lineup. But we are... Uh, going to move on to the end of our show unless you have anything to add on some on some trade scenarios here. You got any another one you want to throw out really quick? Nope, I am good. All right. So the fantasy stud and scrub of the week, we tell you the best and worst players in fantasy basketball. Andy Flint, who is your fantasy stud for this week? Oh, I got uh, KD, Mr. Kevin Durant. He had a 37, a 40, and a 32-point games respectively. Uh, just just tearing it up that game against the Magic. He hit that clutch three at the end. I'd like to thank you for that, Kevin. 37 points. That was five rebounds, five assists, three blocks, and two steals. Guy was on fire. I want to say that I went with Andrew Wiggins, who had back-to-back 30-point games this week. Um, may we all pray for the 2018-2019 Minnesota Timberwolves to be title contenders, but i got to say I'm really mad at you because the only reason why I went with Andrew Wiggins is because I was 99% sure you were going to go with Kobe because Kobe was lighting it up this week, and I know that's your boy. And then you didn't go with him, so I kind of panicked, and I knew I had to mention him here in this segment. Otherwise, all the Kobe stands were going to be on, on our case here. Oh, man, we, we did a big disservice. But shout-out to Kobe because he's been phenomenal, too. Yeah, shout-out to the Mamba. Andy, who is your fantasy scrub of the week? My fantasy scrub of the week, and it's not just because of his ridiculous hairdo, but it's Jeremy Lin 
because he's playing like a scrub. I mean, he had six points one game, seven points another game, two points another game. Uh, 0 for 4 from deep in one of those games is just horrendous. And get a haircut, fella. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That, the, the Mohawk is not working for Jeremy. Uh, so my fantasy scrub is also a point guard. I went with Darren Williams. Um, only played two out of three games this week. You know, the elusive hamstring injury. I'm, I'm just assuming it's a hamstring injury. I actually didn't read the injury report. But just being a net fan, knowing Darren Williams, I'm assuming it was a hamstring injury. Mavs went 0-3, including a complete dismantling from the San Antonio Spurs. And Darren only scored eight points in that game. Plus, I just look for any reason to trash this trader, and he's been decent this year, so I haven't been able to, but here's my opportunity. So before we get to the official end of the show, I have to tell you who we're watching. For next week, we only have a couple of games because of the All-Star break coming up. So the team I have picked, which uh, plays tomorrow, is the my closet team, the Detroit Pistons, Andre Drummond and the crew, uh, my, my team that I picked for the eighth seed at the beginning of the year, and I'm still sticking to it. Andy Flynn, tell me how you feel about the Detroit Pistons really quick. I love it. I think we watched them once early. I'm ready to watch them again, actually. I haven't seen a game in quite a while. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that is the end of our show. We will be back with you next week to continue our journey around the NBA. But we will end, as we always do, with the great philosopher Jason Whitechalk of Williams, who once probably thought basketball is like last call at the bar. Sometimes it's better to pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night.